Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson to learn more. At that moment, she disappears on that camera. What goes through your mind? What do you do? What do you do? I mean, we were absolutely desperate. We had no idea of where to start, what to do, what was too much, what was not enough. And look, in my heart, I wanted to go full John Wick, right? (laughs) Yeah. I I could never identify with the mentality of what would be going through somebody's mind to steal somebody's animal. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is is Labyrinths. I grew up in a house filled with animals, and I often woke up with two dogs and three cats sleeping in my bed. My animal companions have always been an important part of my life, so much so that while I was in prison, my family was reluctant to tell me that my dog had died. Bad news on top of bad news. If you're an animal lover like we are, you've almost certainly felt the grief that comes with welcoming an animal into your life. They eventually die of illness or accident. We were crushed on Christmas morning of 2018 when we found one of our cats hit by a car. We buried him at dawn in the backyard and spent Christmas Day sobbing with our families. As painful as it was, that kind of loss at least brings a sense of closure. But what happens when your animal companion goes missing and there are signs of foul play? How do you find peace? My name is Bobby Comparic. I live in Santa Rosa, California. Can you tell me about Lucy? Lucy was an uh, unintended addition to what ultimately became my wife and I's family. My wife and I had really just been dating for a while, and I knew she always wanted a French bulldog. Um, I've always been a huge dog guy, but have always had the mutt, the rescue, the quirky dog that has a little, maybe too much personality, but um, (laughs) you fall in love with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew she always wanted one before the dog really became popular as a breed. Uh, She just really had a big affinity for him. And I had a client that had one that I just fell in love with. Just the greatest dog would chill bring him to work and he could just hang out, just easy to get along with. I had been asking for a while for the breeder's name. I finally got a hold of the information, told myself, okay, I'll go take a look at him. She wasn't even intending on parting with Lucy and I fell in love with her instantly. She brought her out. She was a little older than you would typically get a puppy, but she just fell asleep in my arms. I instantly had a bond with her and I just, I had to convince her I need this dog. And My wife was out of town for a friend's birthday, so it was a total surprise. I drive home a couple hours with her, get her settled in, and send my wife a a shot and say, surprise. Well, she was obviously floored and eager to meet her, but I had a couple of days to really get to bond with Lucy. So unintentionally, uh, I really fell in love with the little bug. I feel like there was a certain bond that her and I had um, that was unique. I mean, I've had quite a few dogs, great dogs, loved them all. Uh, but there was just something special. I don't know if it was about the timing of where we were at in our lives, um, her personality, just the way we connected, how much of our daily life she was. But it was the first time that I could really say that I could understand how 
you can transcend that bond of it's just a dog, which I've mm-hmm. never really felt. That was always something that was a little odd to me when people were like that. Mm. Um, but this was the most special connection I had had yet with an animal that quickly. She just had a very easygoing personality, even as a puppy. I mean, obviously every dog has their little quirks, but we were in a really fortunate position. Um, I was getting ready to transition from a, a, a very good corporate job, was getting ready to start my own business with a former business partner. Uh, my wife is a hairstylist and her commute was all of a couple hundred feet from where we happened to be living at the time. So our lives really allowed us to be those people that whenever appropriate, we had her with us, you know, mm-hmm. whether that was vacation, whether that was dining outdoors, taking her on long car rides. Um, when we went through the horrible fires of 17, which we were very fortunate to escape, you know, pretty unscathed, uh, we just took off and went out of town for three or four days. And it was me and Angela and Lucy. And as long as we were all safe, everything was okay. As long as everybody we loved was safe. Yeah. You were a family. For sure. I mean, we don't have kids, and she was definitely that part of our family. So I was out of town. I was in Sacramento. I was only a couple hours away from where we live, and I was on my way home. And my wife called me and said that she had thought Lucy had gotten out. Well, we lived downtown Santa Rosa at the time. We lived in this great uh, Victorian home that uh, Angela had had before I had met her. Um, it was a great location. It had that ability to walk downtown and grab a drink or have a bite. And it was right across from her uh, salon. And we, we loved it. But we were naive to the bubble we were living in. There was a rampant drug community that was going unchecked. And we had lived pretty blind to a business that was adjacent to us just because they minded their business and it was a massage parlor. Mm. And so here we are just kind of in our own little world, not paying attention to everything going on around us. I think we had a false sense of security. You know, we had some incidents, property crime stuff that was very minor, you know, a breaking in a car across the street. Somebody had stolen like the little gas regulator off our barbecue. In hindsight, it all indicates what was to come. So we had a routine where uh, if she wanted to go out to go to the bathroom, one of us would go out. We lived on a a busy downtown street, but we had what we felt was a a pretty private fenced in yard. And my wife, as usual, went out to take her out to go to the bathroom and left the front door open, stepped right back inside. And normally Lucy would follow her up on the porch and Angela noticed that that didn't happen. I was about 10 minutes away. I was driving. I was on another call. So I had to switch gears and I could hear the panic in her voice right away. Hmm. And she just thought that the gate somehow got left open. And she was worried that the traffic on the street that we lived on, that we would find her kind of dawdling around in you know one of the neighbor's yards. And so I pulled up and I spent a good 20 or 30 minutes running around in my business attire, screaming her name, thinking that I would find her sniffing something out under a bush somewhere. And then it kind of dawned on me. We had worked with a really good local dog trainer on recall, on making sure that she really wouldn't leave that yard without us. And so something just clicked in my mind and I said, she didn't get out. We had a wireless security system that we had been having an issue with the batteries constantly dying because it would get triggered by the traffic on our street. So our cameras didn't detect anything. But I remembered that our neighbor had an older system. And so I reached out to him. He was able to access his cameras. So here I am in my neighbor's attic because he had an older 
low uh, resolution black and white security system, hadn't accessed it in a long time. So we're up in his attic, looking at the hard drive, trying to get it to replay. And my stomach just sank. You know, as soon as we saw the one perspective of the person walking up with the hoodie on, really trying to conceal their identity, I knew what the other angles were going to show us. This was November at about almost eight o'clock at night. And the person has, from what we can tell, probably sunglasses, a hat, and a hoodie on, and really kind of knew what was going on. Because the gate that we had would make noise when you closed it. And it had a latch that when you would shut the gate, you would hear it from anywhere in the house. And that never happened. Not only was the timing very coincidental with the door being open, it being immediately after Angela went back inside, And now here's somebody walking up right to the property. They wait until all the traffic is cleared from the lot across the street. And it crushed me when I saw him not only try and lure her out with a treat and open the gate, but he even kind of knew how she would react to somebody who she was playing with, which she had this really reliable pattern of she would race to a certain corner and start kind of racing back and forth along the fence trying to play with you. And we took that for granted, you know, when a kind person would stop and remark on, you know, our garden or the dog, we'd interact with them. We didn't think that we were putting ourselves at exposure for somebody coming back and having her be conditioned or be familiar with what her, her pattern would be like. And sure enough, I mean, he just he cut her off right where she went to. And from there, we lost sight of him on the camera. And we have no idea what happened to her after that. That was the time you lost sight of her, too. Mm hmm. Ugh. That's crushing. I feel on one hand, almost paranoid thinking that this was premeditated, but in looking at how everything happened, I think that there was a pattern that was established where if they saw the front door open at night, they probably knew that she was out. And I think somebody finally uh, took the chance to take a dog that they had identified as being valuable. You know, I think we knew because of what she was, a French bulldog and the attention that they were starting to gain at around this time. Some people see him as these luxury dogs or these status symbols, you know, we just fell in love with her. And to us, she was just our kid. I could never identify with the mentality of what would be going through somebody's mind to steal somebody's animal. At that moment, she disappears on that camera. What goes through your mind? What do you do? The first thing I called the local police department, I called Santa Rosa, and they did send somebody out who took a report, but he was honest with me. He just said, Here's the problem. As much as my heart goes out to you, this is one of those crimes where because the way animals are categorized as property, it was only due to the fact that she was a purebred animal that had what we could establish as a high dollar value uh, that led it to be a report for grand theft. In that conversation with the responding officer, he was very gracious to explain why the resources couldn't be committed. He said, Even if I go down the street right now and I find the individual who has your dog, the likelihood of me being able to arrest this individual, to be able to then have them be prosecuted and ultimately convicted of anything of any substance based on the way that the law is structured is nil. So even if he found the gentleman a block down the road that took her, we got Lucy back and he arrests that individual, when it gets to the district attorney's office, it is going to fall on deaf ears. And that was really where I lost a lot of respect for what I perceived to be a much better organized machine of the 
acquisition and ultimately prosecution of individuals for everything from a property crime to a bodily injury crime. Quite a few law enforcement officers from both the local police department and the sheriff's department reached out on their own personal time and really volunteered a lot of their effort through social media and through keeping an eye out. But we learned right away that we were kind of on our own. And so my heart just sank. It was a sleepless night where we just were racking our brain with what do we do here? I think we did a lot of things instinctually wrong that presented us with a a lot of obstacles in that first period of trying to get her back. We created a lot of work for ourselves in an effort to just cast the widest net we possibly could to get information. We felt that she had most likely been taken because of her perceived value and whoever took her was most likely motivated by money. And so we put out a $5,000 reward. And my first instinct was after a sleepless night, I got on a Facebook live post on my porch and I just poured my heart out. And I just said, I'm sure you're in a bad place. And this is probably something you never thought you would do. And I don't hold it against you. I just want her back. Mm -hmm. And so I really tried to appeal on an emotional level that this person might see uh, how much she meant to us. And that got a tremendous amount of traction, which I didn't expect. I wasn't a big social media user, but it just had this little viral effect where I think people could identify with if they were in this position. What do you do? I mean, we were absolutely desperate. We had no idea of where to start, what to do, what was too much, what was not enough. And look, in my heart, I wanted to go full John Wick, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but all we could do was reach out to people that we knew. And fortunately, we were connected with a wonderful woman who is very good at finding lost animals. And hmm. she guided us through a lot of things that we should and shouldn't do. And one of the things that we probably shouldn't have done was we shouldn't have put out that large financial incentive. Um, Hmm. Instinctually, we thought that that would counter the motive of selling her, but it never led to anything other than people looking to score a quick few hundred bucks or lead us down the wrong direction, unfortunately. So a lot of just false leads that ultimately wasted your time. Yeah, that is very counterintuitive. The volume of response that we got on social media was inundating. I mean, I am so thankful for my business partner's patience and understanding. Here we were, we had just committed our whole livelihoods to starting this venture. And this was the ultimate monkey wrench. I ended my transition from my previous position earlier than expected. I didn't have a choice. There wasn't anything I could focus on other than how do I get her back? Mm. Um, Fortunately, they were gracious enough to understand and everything just went on pause. Life as we knew it completely halted. The first couple of nights were just these sleepless nights where we were going to a lot of places that we were frankly told you should not be here just because we weren't willing to stop at any measure to try and identify where she could be before she left the area. Hmm. Because our belief is that she probably left the greater Sonoma County area pretty quickly. But it's hard to know because you hear stories of this happening and then animals being reunited with their owners years later to find that it was somebody in your peripheral social circle that just decided they want your dog. Crazy. So what kind of places did you go to? We have had an ongoing issue with the homeless 
problem. And at the time, it became national news that we had an area uh, known as the Joe Rodota Trail, which is a little over a mile of public biking trail. And there was at the time several hundred people that were entrenched. And this had become an area that was known for just you name it, and it was happening there. And we started receiving a large amount of tips from people that she had been seen on that trail at various times. And there was some information that was all lining up with other information. Looking back, I think that that was just more random correlation than actual information. But of course, we chased it. And so I would get a text message at 11 o'clock at night. Hey, I know who has your dog. Meet me outside the dollar store on Sebastopol Road at one o'clock in the morning. And we did. (laughs) Yeah. So we probably made a lot of choices that weren't in our best interest as far as personal safety, but I was just blind to anything that would stand in my way of getting her back if there was an opportunity. Of course. Can you talk to me about some of those encounters? Like what happened when you arrived outside the dollar store at 1 a.m.? You know, that was an interesting one because that was a young lady who was saying, hey, I hate to do this, but my aunt has your dog. She just got this dog two days ago. It matches the description to a T and she gave us a location where we could find this person. But I was really torn because here was this girl that was obviously like at a very low point and I'm having a hard time trusting this information. And all I wanted to do was get Lucy back. But here's somebody who's obviously at one of the lowest points in life that I couldn't imagine being in. And so we ended up sitting, me and my business partner, for two and a half hours and sharing a meal with this gal while we prepared to try and figure out how we could approach her aunt um, and listen to her story. And here's somebody totally transitory, a few hundred miles away from home, single mom, admitted issues with substances and just struggling and here she was using this as an opportunity to get some financial gain and so while ultimately that didn't lead anywhere we did the best that we could to try and help her out with her situation we came across so many different people that were opposite of what we expected right there were people that were down on their luck that were very empathetic of our situation, but also very honest that they saw this stuff happen all the time and good luck trying to find it once it had really started going down that rabbit hole. So we felt like we were chasing smoke. We could give you lots of reasons to support Labyrinths on Patreon, including ad-free episodes and exclusive patron-only content. But why not hear it direct from a listener? My name is Henry, and I've been a supporter of the Labyrinths podcast for some time. I can totally relate to the concept of feeling lost, and I think the stories have helped me tremendously getting through these last couple of years, and I think they would help others as well. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson. my business partner's wife within about 24 hours of Lucy being stolen had thought that she had identified somebody selling Lucy online. So we reached out 
through a third party so that they wouldn't connect the dots. And we made an arrangement to acquire what we thought was potentially Lucy being sold out of the Central Valley, which we learned is a pretty common route for dogs to move through if they're stolen in the greater North Bay or Bay Area. So we set up, I called a friend who uh, happens to live in the area and I said, I know this is a big ask, but I need you to go get 1500 bucks. And I need you to go meet some stranger in the back of a McDonald's in Dinuba, California at 10 o'clock at night. And <laughs> this is a big guy that I called, former Fresno State linebacker. And he said, I don't know if you know where you're asking me to go, but that's not exactly the best place. And so I said, hey, I get it if you don't want to do it, but here's what's going on. And he didn't hesitate. He went and got the money and went and met this guy. And he called me within three minutes of meeting him. And he said, there's no way this is your girl. She's in horrible shape. There's no way that this dog just left your presence within the last three or four days. Hmm. And so being the kind-hearted teddy bear that he is, he took her to emergency vet and checked her in, no questions asked. And just opened a tab for whatever she needed. Aww. Two weeks later, the same individual was posting another dog. Um, as we started to do some more homework, not only did this individual identify as somebody who was a pet transporter for pet rescue, but he also conveniently had multiple sites for resaling of dogs. And so we started just really feeling something fishy going on here. We set up another arrangement to meet with him. Again, same location. This time, me and uh, another individual went down there in multiple cars. My friend went and purchased the dog. She was 17 pounds. She looked like a starving horse. And we followed this individual back to a location that I would have thought that he was having us meet him 45 minutes away. Uh, I knew something was up because it was a vehicle with the paper plates, like you just purchased the vehicle. There was nothing real distinguishing. There was no name for the animals that were provided. There was literally just a rope for a leash and hmm. we got the money. Here's the dog. It was very transactional. But we followed him only a few blocks. He lived two blocks away and it was him and his wife and they got out of a car and you could just hear the sheer number of dogs. Hmm. It was an older Victorian style house with a wraparound porch. And they had a large German shepherd tied up on a trolley out front. They were not welcoming any visitors. Mm. And so we did our best to document everything we could without violating anything and turned it all over to the local law enforcement and contacted the local Humane Society, all for it only to go nowhere. And we were able to, just from the very little amount that we were able to track through their websites, able to ascertain that there was at least several dozen dogs within a calendar year that this individual was selling. And we're just very frustrated to once again meet with a lack of any uh, substance uh, in the form of a response from not just law enforcement, but also from the governing bodies that you would think would be responsible for anim animal welfare. Yeah, I was about to say, like, how bad do you have to treat a dog for it to finally be considered abuse? You know, I'm not an expert in the subject, but unfortunately, I think that we've seen that, again, it comes down to property laws. And I think as a society, really having a certain mentality when it comes to somebody's property rights until we are able to differentiate the life of a living being 
that is sentient and has a soul to a TV. I don't care what you do with your car. I don't care what you do with your couch, but your cat, your dog, your goat, I mean, these all deserve to be treated humanely and taken care of and provided for. And whether it's leaving a dog out in inclement weather, whether it's not properly nourishing an animal, or whether it's doing any of the number of things that are far worse, I think it's a sad reflection of part of what's going on in society. While those initial attempts to find Lucy opened Bobby's eyes to the predicament many animals and pet owners are facing, they didn't turn up Lucy or alleviate the sense of helplessness at her theft. Initially, my all my energy... I, I didn't know where to channel it. And I just threw whatever resources we could come up with at your traditional lost campaign. Because one of the guidances that we did get was to not put the scarlet letter of stolen on her. Hmm. And the fear was that somebody would be reluctant to come forward because of possible criminal penalty or just even being outed as a potential person related with this. So we were trying to walk this real delicate balance of how do we appeal to not only every stranger we could possibly muster to keep their eyes open and, hey, if you know somebody who just got a dog like this, if you see anything, if we didn't know what little stone that we would have to turn over. And so in our efforts to spread that net as wide as we could on social media, we just had this huge outpouring of local volunteers um, we had dozens and dozens, if not a hundred or more people that were actively, not just once, but I mean, for weeks on end, day in and day out, helping us with looking online for um, anything that looked like Lucy on a for sale post, on a pet shelter post, uh, just the volume of photos that we were going through. It was a full-time job. But as the weeks and months stretched on, that job took its toll. See, it has led to a tremendous sense of fear. We become very selective with who we allow in and around us. And we really try and guard anything personal. Just we're paranoid now that mm. this could happen again for all of the wrong reasons. And it's uh, that I think that has been the biggest fear or the biggest change is I, I'm not normally somebody who lives in that mode of fear or um, a sense of impending loss. And that's changed a lot since that, you know, to have something like that just ripped away from you. This was the thread on the sweater that just unraveled our life for the next probably year and a half. This issue led to us getting into a significant, I don't want to say confrontation, but back and forth with that massage parlor in the next door. Uh, my first response was to put up a high definition security system brought out a local security company, installed uh, a high-end security system on the property. The last thing that I expected was I was going to have this business next to me, which I would assume any traditional business would be okay with an adjacent security system. We literally started receiving threats over that security system because they didn't want the traffic that was going back and forth to be documented. And so... I made some decisions to push back on them in a way that probably instigated more of a response from them than I would have desired. Um, like, what did you say? One... I mean, what was the message that you received? Like, cease and desist your home security system? I don't feel like they have a right to say that to you. 
their message kind of was, hey, we know you know what we do over here and we don't bug you. So sorry about your dog, but you're really cramping our style. Because when I say that we launched what is probably one of the biggest hunts for Lucy, I mean, we started with these large pink poster board posters with color photos of Lucy with the reward ultimately ended up getting on local news and it ended up with a 24 seven digital billboard along 101 for the better part of probably two months that was donated by a local ad agency here, which was just amazing. So, I mean, when I say we put out the word, it wasn't just locally, it was through that and through social media, this was drawing a lot of attention. And when they started literally getting very hostile over the camera system, I pushed back. And so I had a large banner printed up and put up a website and said, if you don't want to be seen coming here, this place is on 24 hour, seven day a week video surveillance. That didn't go over very well because immediately their business just went to zero. And this was the whole time me going to local law enforcement, sharing with them the harassment that we were experiencing from this business. You know, all we wanted was our dog back. Mm -hmm. And we started having this lady screaming outside of our living room window at 10 o'clock at night to take our cameras down. She called the local police multiple times saying, you have to make him take his cameras down. You have to make him take his cameras down. And they said, look, unless he's invading your personal space, like it's pointed in your bathroom, he's not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And it just, that was just one of a total unexpected nightmare that came out of this whole circumstance. The thing about trauma is that it's never a single point of pain. It has ripple effects. When a piece of your life is ripped away, that's just the beginning. But trauma can also lead to some surprising joys. Remember that first dog they thought might have been Lucy? The abused one they bought from the shady character out behind the McDonald's? We have her today. Aww. Her name is Pork Chop. We call her Choppy. No. And uh, we love her to death. And we think that she was either used as a breeder and kept in very confined quarters based on some of her physical attributes um, or just severely neglected. Mm. But here we are three years later, and uh, she's just one of the best dogs you could ever ask for. And Amanda, I can't tell you, the second girl we acquired, Penny, is just, I mean, she's just got a golden soul. They didn't really know any of the things that a domesticated dog should know. They were eating their own fecal matter. They were doing a lot of things that dogs do when they're showing signs of being severely neglected. And we didn't know what we were going to do with them at the time. We didn't had no intention on having another dog. We were just looking for Lucy. But our heart broke when we got these girls. And uh, we now still have both of them. And they're in great shape. Unfortunately, poor Penny just started having some seizures. But that's the unknown of rescuing a dog, right? Mm. You, don't, you don't know what you're getting into. So those are some of the unforeseens. All of the different ripples that have come out of uh, her being taken out of our life. And, you know, we ultimately were very blessed with having three other uh, dogs now in our lives that were all as a result of this circumstance.
The other unexpected ripple in Bobby and Angela's search for Lucy was connecting with others facing the same predicament. We had leads coming in from everywhere. And we not only were getting leads about Lucy, but we had opened it up in such a way on social media that we were just shocked by this problem as we started doing some homework. The volume of pet theft, the lack of pets that are recovered once they go astray. And so while we were obviously hurting from missing Lucy, we just had this overwhelming sense of somebody's got to start to figure this thing out. So a lot of our posts were around other individuals that were going through the same thing. And I can't tell you just the number of people that reached out to us and said, this literally just happened to us. And we had stories shared with us from circumstances like ours where you felt safe and somebody took advantage of a situation that presented itself to people that had had their homes broken into after being followed home from a dog park. Mm. We worked with this young couple out of Texas that literally had just gotten engaged. That was her engagement present. And she was just in love with her little girl. And they literally followed them home and were able to kick in their door and steal their dog. And we worked with a family on the East Coast that had their dog stolen right out of their backyard. And immediately those people reached out to them and started playing the, I found your dog. Mm. And so they were able to recover one dog right away. And the other dog, they believe they were still trying to sell because she felt that she had more value potentially to somebody who could sell her into a breeding ring. It took them months to get her back. And it was only through concerted effort of continuing to push on not allowing it to just go as an unaddressed property crime. And by getting people involved in social media and using traditional media as well through their local uh, news network and keeping attention on the issue that they were ultimately able to get her back. Wow. So it sounds like your personal experience turned into advocacy work. Can you describe to me how you've taken this experience and turned it into this bigger movement? That just happened organically. As soon as the light was shined, I think everybody felt a little vulnerable mm. and they could really empathize with what it would be like to, to lose somebody they love. Mm. I feel just a tremendous sense of responsibility and not living up to that role that you assume when you take on the care of another life. It kills us every day. So I think that's what struck a chord with people was just how intimate that bond can be with something like a dog. And to us, Lucy was so much more than that. Yeah. We had no interest in any sort of personal gain other than just to share with people that the day of being able to leave your dog with the window rolled down on a nice day while you go in and maybe grab a drink 30 seconds away, in my opinion, that's gone, mm. right? Um, I can't tell you the number of stories of dogs taken out of cars, dogs taken out of yards, dogs taken out of homes after they were identified as being there. Um, so that's the biggest thing that we've identified that we can do right now. I mean, look at what happened with Lady Gaga's dogs, mm. right? I mean, granted that was by total happenstance, but you know, we we see these moments that are bright outliers that people pay attention to, but they're unaware of the fact that this happens anywhere conservatively an estimated eight to ten million times a, a year. Wow. Right? And that's a number that sounds shocking, but when you think about the the size of our country and the number of pets and just 
how important they are for a lot of us in terms of our day-to-day life, it was eye-opening for us. Hmm. And, you know, people are under the misconception that it's dogs like Lucy, a 20-pound French bulldog. We've had stories of people that have reached out and said, our bull mastiffs were stolen off of our rural property. Looking back, we had people that were coming down our road and conditioning them, giving them treats. And when they finally got to the right level, here's 250 plus pound dogs that were put in the back of a pickup truck and they never put up a fight. So everybody at some level can be susceptible to this. And I think it's just a, a, a matter of we have to make people more aware so that they're more vigilant and ultimately try and close some of the loops that make it attractive to people to want to do this, that they just think that they can do it and get away with it with um, with very little to no penalty. Well, like you said, the cops say, well, as much as our heart goes out to you, you're on your own. And you're like, well, I guess I'm on my own, except for I'm on my own with all these other people who are also on their own. Ugh, I'm just devastated. It sounds maddening. One of, one of my worst nightmares is I get a lot of death threats for everything that I went through. And I'm not actually that concerned that someone is going to come and actually try to kill me. What I am worried about is someone coming and murdering my animals. Um, because once again, low cost, high quote reward, if you really want to hurt someone, like you could do that. And your animals are your babies and they are your family and they are not property. And yet the consequences of either taking them or hurting them are negligible. It's shocking to me that the laws we have don't reflect that. Is there any aspect of endpettheft.org that is interested in legislation? That's been one of our main focuses. And I have to give credit to Mike McGuire's office. They've been tremendous. When this first happened, they responded right away. And we were looking at getting on their calendar to discover, because I've never worked with anything in that capacity. So I have no idea what it would take to get a Senate bill or an assembly bill passed that would change the way that an animal is treated, not just generally, but in instances of known crisis. I think when you have documentable proof that an animal was taken and is endangered, um, there needs to be a degree of differentiation between a potentially lost animal. um, And so here we have hard evidence. This animal within the last several hours was taken. You know, it was taken by what is most likely a male of this description. It was very frustrating. Mm. You know, I think if anything, where criminals are underestimated is they may be brazen, but they're not stupid. And I'm very leery of a world where we're legislated to death, where we have a bunch of ineffective or unenforced laws that make people feel good, but don't actually do anything to constructively change or affect the problem, we've got to do something to be able to close what I think is just a huge loophole. Bobby and Angela have also been trying to address the problem of pet theft through technological means. I put a lot of time and energy into a caller with an app base. We even worked with one of the largest uh, GPS providers right now. We've worked with their product development team. What we were working on was a collar that would be tamper resistant, would be difficult uh, to remove if you didn't prepare for it, um, that would alert the owner through geofencing and other app-based technologies. We were lucky to work with some very talented engineers and we put a lot of resources in it, but 
between the current technology and also just being honest with how as owners, you come home, maybe from a walk, you take a collar off, it doesn't get charged, all of these things that make this just a false sense of security, which is the Mm. last thing that we want to do. So I really think legislation is going to be the way to continue to spread the message. And I thought throwing just sheer energy and passion and resources at it would raise more awareness. But I come to terms with the fact that this is going to take a much more protracted and methodical approach to changing those underlying conditions, mainly the legislation and how animals are seen. And I think as we go down that course, the conversation is going to need to be, how do you have that balance of carrot and stick, Mm -hmm. right? Meaning I don't want to just do something to make myself feel better so that I could say I did something that doesn't make a difference. Like I said, Mike McGuire's office has been great. We have been having conversations with them. My hope is that we can do something at that level that will make it very unattractive for this to continue to take place. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to take something substantial at the level of both somebody who can be shown to have taken an animal, be in possession of an animal that was taken, or have transferred or received an animal that was taken. And I think there needs to be some sensibility about how that's structured. I don't want to see a nonsensical bill written where there's some threat of heavy fines that are never administered or never collected. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see it be something where if this happens, if somebody gets caught either stealing your dog, selling your dog, buying your dog, transferring your dog, that there be a constructive way of being able to educate and expose these people to animal rescue, animal rehab, community service, and reconnecting them with an animal that for whatever reason, whether it be nature, nurture, they saw as an inanimate object to be used in this way, Mm. right? And I think that you see that through various programs that work with people that are transitioning out of either incarceration or substance programs that work with animals. Mm -hmm. There's something amazingly therapeutic. And I think that there could be a compound benefit to something that was structured well like that. Yeah, I think that's actually very, very smart um, because, of course, you're right. I I think that only someone who didn't understand the bond between a human and their animal would conceivably break that bond by stealing an animal. How long was looking for Lucy your full-time job? And what was the moment that you stopped looking or have you stopped looking? We haven't stopped looking. I think I had a moment about 90 days in or so where, and it also kind of coincided with COVID. (laughs) Around March, when California went into full lockdown, we had been in a full court press. I mean, not just in terms of the posters and the billboard and the online social media. I mean, we got a report of her out in a field somewhere. We had people showing up with drones, helping us walk the field continuing to go out, hand out flyers, talk to people on the street at all hours of the night. I would say it took me a good 90 days to really come to terms with the fact that that was not going to be a fruitful use of my efforts Hmm. and to really start to think about how can I have any chance of possibly recovering Lucy, but more so what can be done so that this doesn't just become something that was tragic for Angela and I and for Lucy, for our family unit, but to make others aware of it and potentially undermine that profit motive of the low risk, high reward. 
Do you think that you're going to see Lucy again, or is that something that you try not to think about? Uh, if I told you I didn't think about it, I'd be lying. I mean, I think about her <laughs> too many times a day. I think my biggest fear is just that she's in an environment where she's being less than provided for, knowing some of the challenges that she might experience throughout her life, given the, the her breed. Um, we're going through it with one of our girls right now. I would hate for her to be in an environment where she wasn't receiving care or somebody was not in a position to be able to provide the level of care that, that I know we would do. Um, so, no, I, I mean, I think about her every day and I'm sorry, I, I start to get emotional about the subject. <laughs> Remind me of exactly about the question so I don't stray too much. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, it's no problem. I was just wondering if like, I was wondering if you think you're going to see her again. I hope we do. You know, I'm very aware of the fact that obviously outside of that initial time frame, the likelihood of it is ever diminishing and it's very, very unlikely. You know, the odds are stacked against us, but I refuse to give up any hope of reconnecting with her given any reasonable lifespan that she may have had. Mm. And I think for myself, Maybe it's just cathartic or it's just a way of relieving a little bit of the sense of guilt. But regardless of whether we connect with her or not, I just feel like this is something impassioned to stay on. It's not going to be something we're going to be able to solve quickly. One thing that maybe the final question that I want to ask for you is a more personal one. I've talked to families who have missing children. And it is very, very, very challenging also to the family. And sometimes it can make conflict arise in the family because maybe the dad can't stop looking and the mom needs to take a break and step away from it. And there's differing ideas about what the best thing to do is. Like, how has this impacted your relationships, um, this loss and this journey? You know, the most important relationship, obviously, with my wife, Angela, I think because it happened at a time when we were engaged, we were planning to get married, we hadn't done that yet. It brought us together in a way that I feel like it kind of forged us by fire and it really helped prove to me that we're good together in a time of crisis. Hmm. But the underlying changes that I think happened to you as a person from having something like that happen. And I, I don't mean to sound like somebody who's lived a sheltered life. And I, I understand that for a lot of people, this is going to be a problem that they might not be able to associate with and might come off as a very first world problem, given all of the challenges that so many people are facing today. But for me, I without a doubt can say that this was one of the most tragic experiences in my whole life. Just the sheer feeling of having her ripped away, how important she was to us to just all the the stuff, it, it pulled the rose-colored glasses off yeah. in terms of what we were living among, what was going on in our city. You know, it taught me a lot about who different individuals in my life were too, because I had never looked at them in that way in terms of how how do they view animals? How do they view other people in their life? How, how would they respond in this situation? What level would they go to? And, you know, it's hard as you get older, as you see people in different lights, um, to still hold them in a certain affinity. And mm. so there's been a lot of changes in relationships. It's tough. I, I couldn't imagine losing a child as much as Lucy is like our child. I do understand the difference. Oh, and I wasn't I, meaning to compare. I was more just oh, like, no, yeah, like, for sure. 
but that's come up a lot. There's that unspoken dialogue when somebody that you're sharing this with, they want to be empathetic. But I can also see how for them, once they do have children, it's hard for them to put that on that same um, emotional scale. That makes me sad because I totally see how people would do that. But also, like, I can't fucking imagine someone taking my animals. Like, I just it's horrifying. And like, I'm so sorry. Like it, it's like so devastating. And I'm so sorry. Um, makes me really upset because I've lost animals before. Right. I had an animal that was hit by a car and you you just like the guilt that you're racked with and the sudden unexpected loss. And you're like, that was my that, that was my baby. And now it's gone. But to also live with this uncertainty, like you don't know what happened to Lucy. What do you I cannot tell you the hours of sleep that I've lost and just the countless hours of driving and just thinking about where could she be? Is she okay? Mm-hmm. You know, look, I would do anything to get her back, but honestly, just a sense of closure. I mean, even if this led to, and I think that's one of my biggest motives for trying to share it on a platform like yours is just to share the story in the hopes that somebody shares a story that they heard with somebody else and then some weird circumstance connects the dots. And I mean, if we found out that, hey, unbeknownst to this family, they bought Lucy through a person, through a person, I I have at this point in my heart, no desire to identify the individual or have any sort of accountability given our current system. It's pointless and not the result that we would like to see. But if we found out tomorrow that she had been able to find her way to a home where she was being loved and cared for and she is part of that family unit that would do it for me right yeah. it wouldn't stop this quest to solve the problem but it would bring such a sense of peace yeah so that's the hardest part it's just that unknown and, and that's that i think is going to be what kills me if we go six seven eight years down this road and we just never have any idea that that's the hard part If you want to support Bobby and Angela's work, check out endpettheft.org. And if you've got a furry member of your own family, give him an extra squeeze and a pet for us. In the meantime, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at Amanda Knox. At Man Under Bridge. And if you think we've been good storytellers, please consider giving us a treat. It would really make our tails wag to get a five-star Labyrinth review. This episode was written, edited, and sound designed by us additional editing and sound design by Josh Thane and theme music by Josh Budo Karp. In the Labyrinth's podcast system, the listener is serenaded by two separate but equally important hosts, Amanda Knox, who brings authenticity and empathy, and Christopher Robinson, who brings intellectual curiosity. These are their stories. What do you think, Knox? Looks like a podcast junkie shot up with one too many ads. Should have become a patron from the looks of it. Who wouldn't prefer ad-free episodes and signed books and live video hangouts over overdosing on ads in an alleyway? Don't patronize me, Knox. Leave that to the listener. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson.